This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. Welcome back, all y'all. And Doug. (laughs) I was going to say... Who are you talking to? But of course, you're talking to our listeners Welcome and back. viewers. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for listening, as always. We so, are you know, so Tali very and I, grateful. Yeah, we are. We are. When we were talking a little bit, you know, uh, we talked on our last episode a little bit about, or one of our previous episodes, about like, you know, the change that we've had in our podcast and what we've had to do to take care of ourselves. And, you know, I think that's such a great topic as it relates to like our lives. So Talia, what do you do? What are you doing? What do you do? Well, I will say that I have chunks of things that I feel like I need to somehow inject into my week. I'm not, I used to think that I could do it daily, but what it really is, is I need to figure out where I can fit these things into my week. So one of those things is just like creative space because that lights me up so much. And whatever that looks like to me, I every other week, I go over to a girlfriend's house. Hi, Jen. And we do either painting, sometimes I bring like billing. If I just like can't get to the fun stuff, I will just create that space and do whatever I need to be doing, just a change of scene. I also really love to write. I love mm. to journal. Other things that I really feel like I need to infuse into my life are, and this is something I do every single day, is take a walk with my dogs. Rain or shine, it's 45 minutes to an hour, and you know, Doug, because I'm pretty much calling you 50% of the time to discuss <laughs> all of our excitement and drama. I think it's 80 or 90, it which has I'm been. delighted by. It has been We've had a lot to chat that. about. Also, one of my favorite things to do is dink around in my house. I know it sounds weird and I know it doesn't sound like self-care, but to me, it represents sort of the epitome of having time to myself. I'm listening to music. I'm listening to a podcast or an audio book and I'm dinking around, like maybe arranging flowers, maybe wiping off a countertop, fluffing pillows, organizing, kind of putter, just puttering is like one of my favorite things to do. And I don't get to do that often because I am never alone in my house. It's something that I need to be alone in my house. But those are like my favorite self-care things besides like, you know, jacuzzi, reading magazines. Right? Yes. I wasn't sure where you were going once you said dink. Dinking. I saw your eyebrows raised really high. I I, I love to dink. 
<laughs> okay. Well, lucky Does that Rob. mean something that I, I don't know? Yeah, probably. Um, Remember when I said back door and you got really you concerned? <laughs> yeah, I've, you know, yep. We are from different communities in some ways. We that are. might be part of it. I'm also a single gay man. So That's being true. a married hetero woman. I'm going yes. to call you hetero just Women. for the purpose. Is that well, plural? <laughs> yeah. um, because Doug, of your dissociative disorder, <laughs> I went with me, women. What do you do for self-care? How do you take oh, care gosh. of yourself? You know, I must tell you, um, I was kind of, you know, I, first of all, it's very easy for me. Like, I'm, I'm just somebody who I need to have a regular workout schedule. I'm treadmilling every morning before I start my work day. I go to jujitsu, which is probably the best thing to get mm. my head out of my like mind cleared up and get me out of my head, I should say. Um, it's really something like you can't really think about things or analyze when you're at risk of getting choked or yes. maimed. So you have to stay alert and it's yeah. good exercise. And I have not been for a while, which is really a concern. So I got to get back into it. However, you know, I was very struck two things. One is I'm, I was very struck by my younger's birthday weekend in Chicago last weekend they were so like on the self-care route. We did massages for all of the birthday party. We did a watercolor painting class. Um, we did sushi. Like we ate good food. We had Chinese hot pot. I mean, we just did really relaxing stuff. Heaven. And that was kind of their, it was. And that was kind of their motivation for the weekend. So we kind of just were very easygoing, all self-care stuff. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I realize about myself is that at the end of my work week, I like need something to get, again, my head out of my, get Rear. me out of my head. I keep saying that, like head out of, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that that's what I'm probably saying. Where, is your head in grinder? We need to get your head out of grinder. No. Like I, you know, so I just need to get out of my head at the end of my work week. Cause you know, we do this work. I do eight to 10 patients a day. That's a little much in it's those crazy. four days. So for me, I need that. to I need to get out. And thank you to my friends, Sarah and Wigan. I promised I would use their name this time. Um, who we went to a place in Stillwater and watched the hockey game, Wild Against Flyers. Two of Wigan's amazingly talented boys play for the Flyers. So we had so much fun and we kind of get really loud and I really enjoy that. So I love these two people. It was such a release, and I came home, and then my friend Nicole called me, and I'm like, this was the best night to get uh, out of my head. You so are that's... so beloved. So you <laughs> kind of externally, you just love being surrounded by people. Surrounded by the right people, let me tell you. Yes. I'm selective about who's in my life at this point, as many listeners will know. I need people who are accepting of who I am in my multitude of inappropriate ways. <laughs> This Which kind of brings like... us to our topic today. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It really does. You guys, we are so <laughs> excited about this. So we yeah. haven't really done anything like this before. But what we were thinking, and we really hope you like it, is this is probably going to be a four-part series. So we decided that we are yeah. going to dive in to Cluster B personality disorders because they are the juicy, charming, slippery, and also like some of the loveliest people you will ever meet. And also 
if they're unwell, can really cause some damage in their own lives and in yours. So we are going to discuss, these are the four. We've got narcissistic personality disorder that we're going to tackle today. We've got borderline personality disorder that we're going to tackle next time. And then there's histrionic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. And we have found these snippets of letters and we've pulled together all sorts of interesting commentary from somebody who is in a relationship with somebody who has traits of or full-blown whichever personality disorder we're going to talk about right and then doug do you want to tell them what the second part is going to be so this is the crazy part so first of all i just want to mirror what you just said and add on to it that you know in our work over the course of time we find that there are personality disorders that show up more as problematic in the relationships we work with and I will tell you more than ever, narcissism has become a hot topic on TikTok, on the other social media realms, but people are experiencing like this big surge of like narcissism in their life. And I have some guesses about that because we've had a fairly high profile narcissist in our White House not so long ago. So I think <laughs> you're people being have so been, vague. Who could I am, you possibly I, you know, be talking Someone who about? says you're fired when they don't like that person or whatever. So Or someone which, who says I could walk down the street and shoot someone in the head and no one would arrest me kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So or that I would still get elected, which did happen. So That's I because right. I, I believe in elections. So I think there's a part where, you know, at the at the moment that is a really hot topic. That's why we're starting with it. But you know, borderline personality is really tough. Histrionic's pretty tough. Um, I think I see less antisocial personality in my caseload, but it does exist. All of them are hard to be in a relationship with. So I'm kind of excited to do this four-part series, kind of based on what I think people are looking for. And I, you know, again, I cannot tell you how many people have come in saying, I think I'm with a narcissist. And most of the time they're right, by the way. I got to tell you something very funny. When we were in graduate school, we were learning some, you know, the diagnostic manual, the DSM-4 at the time. It's five now. Um, but I remember, is it just five? Yeah. It's like um, TR. But, There's like a, yeah, no, text a new revision. one. Yeah. So here's the funny thing about this. I remember sitting at the table like, oh my God, I'm every one of these things, right? Because you can, <laughs> you know, I think the truth is we all have personalities and we all have p bits and pieces that are in that section of the diagnostic manual. And I finally said, is everybody thinking they're all of these things? And yes. I will say most of us agree. They were like, some people were like, no. And I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> okay, not enough self-awareness. Well, you're just better than I am then. No, this so. is also like a part of grad school, I think. When we, <laughs> when we take our first psychopathology classes, we are diagnosing ourselves and others for years. And we're like, oh my God, I had no idea that everyone in my life, including me, yeah. But I will also say that I think that you're exactly right. People with narcissistic personality disorder, probably antisocial personality disorder, are not the ones coming in to see a therapist. Usually it's the people that are in yeah. relationships with these people. Unless I did have an experience once that it was someone whose um, employer demanded that they go to therapy. 
Oh, yes. Okay. And that was maybe okay. the only situation that wasn't because, of course, like all of our interesting, juicy, beautiful personalities, we'll have traits of this and that and the other thing. But it only becomes a personality disorder if it is chronic and pervasive. And if and all of the cluster B's, I will say, Doug, tell me what you think about this. I These will. are the dramatic sweet talking personality disorders that you might experience if you if you aren't the one who has it you might experience it as you walk into a room and there's somebody in that room that most everyone else in that room is experiencing Doug can't stop laughing I'm sorry I, I, I need like, to be off the screen for a second sort of needing to be the center of attention, maybe louder than everyone else, boastful, grandiose. Um, we don't know if it's truth or lies, but they are just like, and I mean, honestly, we could probably, Doug and I can relate to this because we're sort of born performers too, right? We do love an audience and we do love, oh my gosh, if somebody says I'm gorgeous, I'll be like, okay, thanks, but am I funny? Do you think I'm smart and am I funny? Did I make you laugh? And all my friends know that about me. And so, but you, you, if you leave that room then, then everybody's like, oh my God, did you see that person? Like they literally couldn't stop themselves or they were so loud or I couldn't get a word in edgewise or whatever that is. And then you start to realize that if everybody in an office or at a party is like, oh my God, that person is a lot they usually have a personality disorder. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, first of all, you know, I'm laughing a little bit because I do tend to be a little extroverted and loud. And, <laughs> You're just you know, extra. You're I'm just a little extra. extra. And my, my kids would be very clear on how that extra shows up. Um, but my friends, I think, enjoy my personality, which is why they're friends. Um, however... You know, the other thing that you said that I think is really important, I always tell people, if someone is just triggering you, if somebody has a chronic way, and, and by the way, it, it's not just a one-time thing. I really think that's right. the important thing to prioritize is that if you constantly experience someone as they're all about themselves, they have no empathy for you, they can't be there for you when you have a hard time, but you're always there for them. I mean, there's something about that that triggers people, right? And whether that's histrionic or whether that's borderline or whether that's narcissistic, it's probably not antisocial. Um, but you know, those, those characteristics, they grind on people because there's no mutuality and reciprocity in those relationships. Mm -hmm. And especially with the one we're talking about today, narcissism, it's, it's someone who just does not recognize how they're affecting somebody else and does That's not right. recognize, you know, how to, how to be kind and empathic, doesn't take criticism well, is a, has a sense of entitlement. Um, and so there's, there's these pervasive ways that people, again, think, perceive and engage with the world that I think create these diagnostic categories. Which brings us to our mailbag. Oh my gosh, this is so juicy. I'm so excited. Give it to me. And you know, me. Talia, you asked me which one I wanted to start with. This is my favorite to talk about because it is by, by far the one that lots of authors who have studied narcissism would say, there is no treatment that works. Run for the hills. Get out of the relationship. There is no hope for this person. And I've had multiple partners come in who are narcissistic in the dynamic of their relationship and you know their partners have come to see me and then I bring in their partners and mm -hmm. it's it's not gone well I had one person that I was able to mirror like if this person said this to you 
how would that feel? And this person stared at me a while and said, well, that wouldn't feel good. And I said, well, that's what they're saying they experience with you. Wow. I was really close to <gasps> making some progress. But that is exactly it. That's like empathy. And what happens? Because, I mean, basically, it didn't the, reason, stick. <laughs> the reason why couples therapy yeah. works is yeah. because of empathy and willingness to yeah. honor and value your partner's thoughts and feelings and experience. Own your own shit and change. The, the other thing about this, and I agree with you, Talia, but I also think that the other piece is that I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not in that relationship. So for me as a clinician to give that feedback, the person could take it because they're not expecting me on an ongoing basis to feed their ego or to feed them. And, you know, there's this mm. amazing book written by, a, I believe, a psychiatrist who identifies as narcissistic called The uh, Malignant Self-Love. Oh and it's a gosh. fascinating book because he says, if I'm not getting fed, I will die. So I will look in any way to associate with powerful people or influential yes. people or to get attention from people. And it was the most fascinating way of talking about oh it. Oh my gosh, but, that's incredible. Yeah. Because yes, often we don't get to hear the experience of the person with the personality disorder yeah. because they are not usually experiencing themselves as somebody who has a personality disorder. They're yeah. experiencing the world around them, crushing them or painful emptiness longing starving for love and attention and doing anything in their power to find that but yeah should we dive in let's dive in the only last thing i want to say about that is i you know the the tricky part of all of these disorders is that that person can initially come off as very charming mm -hmm. and very engaging and very attentive until there is an expectation of reciprocity or mutuality and then things go haywire because that person does not have any regard for other people. So that's something to really look for if you're in that type of relationship. But our mailbag, mm. and I'm going to call her Lucy, Great. says this Lucy believes that her boyfriend has narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. Let me read this. She has no idea how to handle it. We've had pretty, a pretty rough month after doing well for a while. A friend suggested journaling all of the things in our relationship that really bother me so I can see recurring patterns and issues, which is a really good task, by the way. Yeah, that's Lucy. really smart. Yesterday filled it up pretty fast, and as I was looking over it, I started to notice how many of his actions reminded me of a friend who just got out of a really manipulative and abusive relationship. I got worried, but as I started digging deeper, it started to hit me that this really wasn't a normal manipulative behavior. He thinks he's really hot shit, and honestly, 90% of, <laughs> that's great, 96% of the time, he's absolutely wonderful, and he's quite attractive, but he feels the need for people to know how great he is. He needs a lot, and I mean a lot, in capital letters, of attention. Mm. The only time he's ever been mean or manipulative is when the attention has been taken from him. Like yesterday, I was really sick, and I just wanted to sleep, but he wanted attention, so he tried to pester me for hours on end before storming out and then having a temper tantrum and crying. These are not normal behaviors for him, but when they do happen, it's bad. He checks all but one of the boxes for narcissistic personality disorder. Hmm. And not just kind of checks it, but lives it almost every single day. Last night, I started discussing some of these issues and how they feel manipulative, but I know he won't stop or change without help if that's the issue. 
I've tried several times before on much smaller, easier things. And within a day, he's back to doing whatever I asked him not to do. Hmm. However, searching for how to tell someone that they're a narcissist mostly comes up with run for the hills <laughs> or it's not possible or the vaguest description of tiptoeing around them that is not helpful. Oh, my God, that's painful to listen to. I really do love him and I'd like to help him if possible. I want to go about this in the right way. Although I don't know how not to make him defensive and destroy our relationship. If it happens anyway, then fine. I'll move on. I do understand that even if he gets help, it won't fix things overnight. Um, I've read up on it and know it can take years before any significant change happens. So the question is, can I put up with it until that time? Oh, poor, sweet Lucy. I mean, I don't even know how to answer that because I feel like putting up with anything isn't really the answer. And the question is, will your boyfriend find it in himself to dig deep, look in a mirror, own that he probably has these characteristics that are hurtful, painful. Maybe some of it is his own anxious attachment or desperation for attention because of what they say about narcissistic personality disorder is that what it looks like from the outside is just a very grandiose person who thinks they're just hot shit, right? But yep. the reality is, is that ego is so fragile and they are just constantly feeling like they're not enough unless they put sprinkle a little sugar on the truth or make themselves seem incredibly successful, handsome, beautiful, whatever it is, they're needing that external validation because they don't accurately see themselves as a human worthy of love just as they are, which they're also projecting, I think, onto other people. And so if they're really critical of you, it's also the same thing that they feel like you're not good enough. You need to do better. I'm better than you. You or maybe you're better than me. So I'm competitive with you. But it is it's almost this self image that is really painful to watch is that desperation for attention. And then you didn't give it to him. And he had a tantrum. I, I don't feel good about any relationship with somebody who isn't looking in the mirror, honoring your feelings, owning it, and then their willingness to change. You know, it's interesting too, we're talking about looking in the mirror. Of course, the origins of narcissism is the, is the story of Narcissus who looked at his reflection yes. in the water, right? And thought of how beautiful he was. This is what I would say about this. I wanna go back to something really important as we discuss like, when you talk, Lucy, about him getting some help or getting him some treatment, the reality is there's lots of different thoughts on this. And part of that comes from what we believe the origins of a personality disorder is. And to be honest, we don't know. There's two schools of thought on this. Is there a genetic piece that could be, play a role in this? But is there also maybe some historic trauma, abuse, neglect that, that contribute to who this person is? Like we don't have all the answers. And, you know, I got to be honest, after all of this year, all of these years of treatment, uh, treating other people uh, with with personality disorders, I honestly believe it's a combo. Mm -hmm. I think there are contributing factors that can exacerbate those symptoms or those personality traits. So that's my sense of it. And, you know, the hope, if there is any hope, 
is that that person can kind of understand the association between those historic events and who they are now. That allows for change. But if that person is really unable to see themselves as, you know, in, in the way that other people experience them, I don't know that there's any hope. It's kind of like somebody walks into treatment, you know, and walks into therapy. And I always ask, like, what's your motivation for change? I, I you know, I've had people say, I, I'm not, I don't want to be here. My wife made me come or my husband made me come or my boyfriend or girlfriend made me come. And, uh, you know, I have literally said, then, then you can leave because I'm not interested in, you know, persuading you to help yourself. So right. I think there's a part of this that he's got to have that motivation. And that's where my question would be, like, when you let him know, Lucy, how you experience his behaviors and how you experience the interaction does he say, I totally understand that and I, I need to do better and I need to figure out why I do that? Does he have that ability to be self-aware because a true narcissist oftentimes will not? The sad, sad thing about this to me is that I don't believe true narcissists who are not willing to do their work have any real friends, have any real love in their life, have anybody that really loves them for who they are because you know, oftentimes these people have money or power in the case of the person I referenced before who has orange hair. But I also <laughs> believe that, you know, the, the motivation for change has to come from within for all people. Yeah. And if he doesn't have that, Lucy, I would not stick around. I would let him know, you know, I've tried to let you know how your behavior impacts me. And one of the things I'm loving that you're doing is you're starting and, and you know, the journaling was kind of a brilliant, brilliant suggestion because, you know, it sometimes takes us to write it down and review it to keep ourselves mindful. Like this is really unpleasant. It's kind of like an abusive relationship. I and mean, let's go to physical abuse. You know, I've been in a relationship with someone who hit me in the face, poured a margarita pitcher over my head. That was the last day I talked to that person or saw that person Wow! because it doesn't work for me. I'm really clear that that does not work for me. That's an uncomfortable relationship that I wasn't going to rebound from. So, and I'm, I feel it's, like it's that embarrassing. Should... Right? That shouldn't work for anybody, right? It shouldn't. I mean, we all have bad days, but yeah, I, it doesn't work for me. Like it was the last moment for me. So, you know, and I feel embarrassed that I even let it get to that because he was yeah. a prick the whole time. So I let it go too long, but I know why I engaged in that relationship. And it comes from my own kind of family of origin and not feeling loved. So I was looking for love in all the wrong places to quote that proverbial, uh, I think, That's song. That's right. And I think that... that okay. I think that is mostly what it is. I agree with you about the nature and nurture part, but also yeah. when we have that emptiness, when we're starving for love, it isn't always healthy love, right? It's we're starving yeah. for what we think love looks like, feels like, smells like, tastes like, which comes from our family of origin. So if we're starving for maybe somebody who is emotionally unavailable because they think they're superior to us or they're not that interested in us yeah. and we're constantly like chasing this uninterested disinterested person then that's what we're looking for in our adult relationships i mean what what feels tragic to me about this boyfriend and like what you were expressing about your experience as well about like you know they don't have real friends right because what you need to do and be to have real friends is to be brave enough to be your authentic self then people will love you for who you are and you don't have to feel like you are constantly performing and enhancing and exaggerating and lying 
to pretend that you're someone who's good enough to be loved because then you are chasing feeling good enough to be loved your entire life without giving yourself a second to find out what would happen if you were vulnerable. Most people that I talk to that are in relationships with people with narcissistic traits, all they want is for their partner to see them, hear them, be vulnerable and less perfect so that they could just be humans together. Lucy, the other thing that comes up for me in this is I'm kind of curious, you know, even the person who recommended you journal about the things that are not working in your relationship. What I'm curious about is whether your social circle has had a response to this person. If you have hung out with people in your social circle, you know, I will tell you, uh, you know, the person that has been in my life went to a hockey tournament with me and all of my hockey friends were like, First of all, you become a totally different person when you're with him because you're so cautious and you're so tiptoeing and you're so Mm. careful and I'm usually not. And then secondly, they were like, he's such an asshole, right? And I'm like, no, he's not. Like I was defending all of it. And I'm like, in in retrospect, how embarrassing. Luckily, those amazing hockey people at Stillwater Area Hockey Association stuck with me. They are my friends to this day um, and really, you know, understood that we all make mistakes. So, you know, I, I think there's a social aspect to this, too, where other people can see what maybe you can't. And are you blinded to some of the dynamics? Um, and Lucy, you know, your ultimate question here, like, how long can I tolerate this? That's something that only you know. But if you're not seeing any effort on his part to take steps toward making himself a better partner and a better boyfriend for you, it really might be time to say, you know what, I've really made this effort. I've let him know how I think and I feel and how I experience this relationship. And I'm going to work hard to set a boundary. I'm going to give you some uh, caution, though. Narcissists are hard to get rid of as well, because the minute you withdraw attention and the minute you withdraw the the positives that you were giving this person they're going to continuously find more desperate measures sometimes to get them you know that's and right because all of a sudden you become more valuable because yeah. you're distancing yourself and, and the minute you disregard somebody the minute you don't you know criticize this person the more you don't give them what they need to be fed their ego and their their circumstances to be fed they become more desperate what inevitably mm. happens though and this is the positive part of that lucy he will find another target if indeed this is who he is he will find another target to get that from and hopefully it's a distraction from you Lucy, you are amazing. I loved your question so much. I love that you journaled. I And I also think that what you're saying is it's time to have that conversation with him to see if there is any interest or willingness to look at himself and change. Very complex personality cluster of symptoms indeed. It um, is. And, you know, it, it kind of comes down to, Talia, what you and I always come back to. You know, when something is going on that does not feel right, if you're not getting what you need in a relationship, and that's on either side of this continuum, I mean, even helping someone with narcissistic traits or disorder, um, helping them understand, like, this is maybe why this is happening, is kind of the only way to get to the other side. I feel like in the stories that I know, with people struggling either with the personality disorder or in love with someone who, or child or parent of someone, I feel like there is a trauma in the original family of origin. They are starving to be told that they are lovable, that they are enough. And it is forever chasing that feedback from the outside world, even if it costs everything to get that external validation 
So really, I mean, it's interesting that our field has not solidified theoretically what it is that is the basis of mm. narcissistic personality. I think that makes sense as you say it out loud, but it also feels too simplistic when it comes to the really damaging ways these people interact with the world. It's it feels true. Right? So much more psychopathological than that. And so we continue to endeavor to understand. But, you know, the greatest part of this podcast and what we hope to achieve here, Talia, is that we're helping people listen to themselves, identify those things that are not working well, going way back to Lucy at the beginning of our conversation. Um, you know, listen to yourselves. Listen to what's going on and make sure that you identify how you feel in the relationship and convey that. It will be the guide toward getting you to the other side, no matter who you are. That's beautiful. And we are so excited to continue the series Borderline next. See y'all then. We love you guys. See you next Tuesday. Take care.